here at Cannes, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue. For people who are interested in our previous shows, you can find our free archives at Spreaker.com, at the Cannes Project podcast on Spreaker.com. Are you an artist or creator with a social conscience? Do you have an inspiring story or material to share that's helpful to people? Are you an expert on culture, arts, nature, or wellness? If this sounds like you or someone you know, we'd love to hear from you at Can Projects, where we advocate that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and environment. Our talk show Can Projects podcast reaches 20 plus online platforms and features insightful, inspiring, and expert guests. You can check out the show on our free archives on Spreaker.com and YouTube. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel very welcome to email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com. Help each other. Help us all. You're all very welcome to the Can Projects podcast, where we love to talk about culture, arts, nature, and wellness. And I'm your project coordinator and co-host, Shane McKay. And I'm the other project coordinator and co-host, Christopher Sneed. And here at Can, we love to talk about open and inclusive dialogue. We have a great show lined up for you today with Laurie Jones, the Interim Executive Director of ME Action. Yeah, and they've got a great website. They're, they're, they're an organization that do absolutely invaluable work for uh, the MECFS community and we're delighted to have them on and you can find our website at meaction.net I'll just pull it up there for people to see it there um, and it's very comprehensive I was just looking at it there before we came on air and it's really really comprehensive um, and there'll be people who are who will see this show and, and maybe kind of not that familiar with MECFS and that's part of the reason we're, we're, we're doing this because it's, it's, it's a subject that really needs a lot more awareness in the global community and we're, we're starting to see it pick up but it's it's taken it's taken its time oh, yeah I yeah. mean recognition in this country is kind of slow was, was slow coming like you know yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's it, it's only really now that some doctors are even kind of acknowledging it as a real condition. Yeah, long COVID kind of has a lot to do with that. We're going to, probably going to get into that a bit as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into symptoms and stuff, I suppose, during the show. But I'll just, just so you can have a quick look there. I mean, the, I wanted to read, where is it? Just a blurb here on their homepages. Our movement fights for recognition, education and research so that one day all people with ME and CFS will have support and access to compassionate and effective care. And that's just really, it really goes to the heart of it, Chris. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. So sure. we, we have Laurie's bio there. I'll just read that out briefly before we invite her in. So Laurie has years of experience working in nonprofits and the arts. Prior to joining... Uh, hashtag ME Action Team. Laurie was the director of Impact for Unrest, uh, using the film to educate and advocate for those in the ME community. She has served as program director at Brave New Films, worked on the Why Poverty film campaign and fundraised 
for United Way of Metropolitan Chicago. She has a BA in Production Studies in Performing Arts from Clemson University and an MA in Applied Human Rights from the University of York. So that's pretty impressive stuff and we're mm. absolutely delighted to invite Laurie on now if I get the right button right here. There we go. Hi Laurie. Hi, thank Hi. you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for taking the time to come in and see us. Of course. And uh, I'm sure you, you, you must be uh, up to your eyes getting ready now for Emmy Awareness uh, Week and Month in May. We are. We are so busy right now. We are planning a global event on the 12th that'll all be virtual, which is which is lovely because anyone all over the world can come. And we have a lot of trainings that we're doing this week, a tell your story training, a photography training, and lots of toolkits and lots of lots of answering questions. So it's a pretty busy month. Yeah. What's the name of that event? Um, the Millions Missing event. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, great. And um, yeah, I love I love like the scope of the work you're doing. And it's something that we kind of advocate on here and can is the importance of positive outlets. And when I got deeper into hearing the work that Emmy Action does, I was really, really encouraged to hear you run all, all kinds of art. Was that you have an art salon kind of project and stuff like that? We do. There, um, this will be our third artist salon and it's absolutely beautiful. It's one of my favorite events. We have people from all over the world present their art, whether it is visual art, poetry, music. We've had people break out in song. And I I was stunned. I actually had to fight back tears because I was trying to facilitate the event. But we have a very talented community of people. And uh, people just being able to express themselves, whether it is their their grief or their joy or or what they find beautiful in the world through their art is magical. It's magical. So we're trying to do an artist salon twice a year just to make sure that enough people get to come. And we do it open mic style. So we don't really prioritize uh, anyone. It's whoever wants to come and, and share their art is welcome to do that. That's great. So like it's accessible and that's really important as well. Mm. Like It is. And we do have folks with severe ME, which we'll get into a lot of the details about ME, I'm sure later, but um Folks who have very severe in me, it's really hard for them to participate on Zoom. So we have found some ways to really focus on the severe community so people can submit their art early so that we can play videos or however is the best way to share what people give to us so that anybody, no matter how severe or well they feel, can can share. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. And it, I mean, it, there must be a lot of kind of job satisfaction in that when you do see kind of how that helps people. And I know from personal experience, I have ME for close to 20 years now. And um, I know like those boosts that you get, you know, when you when you feel like you're kind of uh, connecting with people because ME, you can at times you can kind of feel isolated and stuff that when you have that positive outlet, you know, and, and, and it, it's kind of a positive outlet are kind of funny as well, though, because I find myself anyway, you kind of have to keep a little bit of a balance because I get enthusiastic, you know, and it's like, okay, I got to remember to pace too, though. So yeah. sometimes you do need a reminder on that. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it makes sense. Do you get excited about what you're working on? But it does when you have these events, you get, it just reminds you of the personal because it's so easy to get swept up in statistics and numbers and what report you have to get to whatever federal agency. So and all that matters, it matters because you're trying to get 
research dollars for Emmy and you're trying to get clinical care, but these artist ones just remind you of the personal. There are millions of individual people with lives and desires and fears and that matter. They're at the center of it all. So it, it does, it brings you home a bit. It brings, it brings you down to the ground and it just reminds you that that's, that's what you're working for. That's who you're working for. Yeah. And I actually kind of like myself now in the last year or so by kind of reaching out for myself into the ME community, uh, really kind of started to realize how underrated it is, like how much people with ME or disabilities in general actually have to offer the community. And I think it's, re it's, it's, uh, we're missing out by, by not making things accessible like that, because like you said, the, the talent and stuff you come across is actually incredible. And, um, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of strange correlations I, I came across as well between patients, not just to do with symptoms, but like kind of even personality and att attitudes. And like, I, I came across a lot of teachers, like, and I've done teaching and a lot of kind of artistic people as well. And, uh, lots of writers and things like that. Absolutely. So much so. And I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's such a hard balance because on one hand, you want everything. You obviously want everything to be accessible because human beings deserve accessibility and everyone deserves to participate. And so sometimes I, uh, I hesitate talking about the exceptionalism of the ME community, but I do see it all the time. I see amazing artists and I see extraordinarily thoughtful human beings that the world is missing out on if they don't find a way to interact. And it is on the the world. It is on the society to make sure that everything is mm. accessible. And the pandemic has opened that up a bit. I mean, uh, everybody knows what Zoom is. Uh, you know, before we we had a we have a blue jeans account. That's what we mm. use for most of our meetings. And it would be so confusing pre-pandemic to have people have a meeting that was online. And yeah. now everyone's used to it. So we just have to make sure it stays that way post pandemic so that it maintains this level of accessibility. But also I think more people have a bit of empathy as well for the isolation effect because that for, for most of the world, it's their first taste of it really. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that's a good point, Chris, because it, it really was the first taste for so many people. And I, I really do hope that's true. I hope that people maintain that empathy and they, they remember that some people still can't go back to normal, quote unquote, for their life. People are going back to work in restaurants and parties, all of this. I, I saw something similar, Laurie, as well, like you're talking about, like the, the way with Zoom and things. It was wonderful because uh, like the, the community, I kind of reached out to IMET um, they were running these like uh, Zoom meetings and stuff and it it gave me a chance to actually talk to other patients. I never had that chance before really, you know, and then, excuse me, I'm going to cough. <laughs> excuse me. Um, uh, like I, they, they'd be putting meetings on and I'd get the, the letter in, but a lot of times I'd be too tired to go. So, but being able to go to a Zoom meeting was like, yeah, no problem. I can do that. Even if I'm lying down, I can just listen in. And it's wonderful. And you're right, we do. We need to continue on that and, and, and to keep building on that. because. And I think it's it's useful to a lot of people, but for the ME community, um, it, it just, it helps, really does help to to break that isolation. And, and that, that, that can be, uh, that, that's very, very important, I think. Absolutely. I think it is. And what I've learned too, is that accessibility really works for everybody. 
there, there isn't a downside to being more accessible. So uh, it, it really works for everybody. I mean, um, I have a nine month old right now and congratulations. Thank you so much. And I think about all the ways that I took for granted, just uh, uh, what you can do or not do or, or how much sleep you're going to get in a night and still have <laughs> yeah. to you know, do things. And uh, so from just like from mothers, from caregivers, from people who have chronic illness, from uh, people who don't have transportation for, there are so many reasons why things need to be more accessible. And so the chronic illness community was ahead of the game and we have a, the whole world has a lot to learn. Absolutely. From. That's, and I find that really inspiring, you know, it's, it's really encouraging. And the same with the long COVID thing for people out there with long COVID who are like, oh, this is so new. And like, do we, do we, how do we deal with this? It's like, well, guys, we do have some strategies that we, yeah. that might be helpful. Oh. Uh, so that's great. And again, that's like another another area that people with ME and who've been living with the condition and have learned different ways to cope and things like that. We have a lot to offer. We really have yeah. a lot to offer. So much so. And and if if society responds as if this is a brand new thing, then uh, oh, what a disservice. Like the, the ME community can offer so much to people with long COVID and the, and the world's response to long COVID, mm, yeah. but they have to be included in that response because yeah. I mean, they've had decades and decades of, of knowledge that they can bring this moment. And so including them, listening to them is it's crucial mm. or we're just going to repeat history. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of the phrase teaching your grandmother to suck eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There was a we're so we're we're gonna I suppose be good to get kind of get into symptoms a bit and explain the condition a bit more for people who haven't heard or who, who have heard and want to learn a bit more. But there was a figure I saw on the website there. I'm trying to find of like actually how many people globally are affected. Um, with the condition, and that's that doesn't include their families because families and friends are affected also. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. But it's way up there. It's millions, isn't it? I, can, I mean, it's I mean well, millions, it's really missing. missing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's millions around the world. Um, I mean, and and with long COVID, things are going to increase so dramatically. So the the U.S. figure is pre-pandemic. It was one point five million people, approximately. And now they're estimating that five to seven million people in the United States will have ME as a result of long COVID. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too, and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance, so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com slash wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, one of the old names for um, ME was uh, post-viral fatigue syndrome. That was one of the, you know, that's a defunct phrase now. And uh, I mean, you know, COVID being a virus, like, <laughs> you know. Well, and, you know, in some ways that's, you know, because... Uh, some people still get a chronic fatigue syndrome diagnosis. Some people mm. get a ME diagnosis. And then some people get post-viral fatigue uh, in that it won't it won't become chronic. It won't become mm. something that's long-lasting. It will be short-lived. And that's still something that's really important to study because 
um, why some people's fatigue, pain, cognitive dysfunction improve and some people's don't will be really, really important to know. And there's so many factors. Um, so uh, yeah, and but the names the names are very interesting because I get a lot of feedback all the time of oh you should include chronic fatigue syndrome or you shouldn't include include chronic fatigue syndrome or um, but people are labeled so many different things by their clinicians and so trying to make sure that everyone's included in the help and the resources and the community hmm. it's a it's a balance. Yeah, I, I I have to say I found I found it very very confusing over the years, you know, because. Yes. Like my diagnosis, um, I, I, I had two doctors. I was, I was actually kind of, I should, I should probably say, like I was, I would consider myself very lucky, in that I got what you could call early intervention. In that I found a doctor very early on that recognised me, and knew how to treat it. Well, it's he's like he's he's a, it's an East West clinic, so it's he he's he's actually, um, he's he, he's qualified. He's a cardiologist, but he he, he practices Chinese medicine, Chinese herbal medicine and acupuncture and stuff like that. But he had treated people previously and he told me up front, he was like, look, I can't, I'm not going to be able to cure you, but I'll, I'll be able to help you manage the symptoms. And I got that really early on. And I think only for that, I think I would have, I was, I, I was, I was like, literally like by the day, I was just going way, way down and down and down. And once I started up the treatment with him, it just kind of, it just, it, it, it stayed at a similar level, you know, and gradually I kind of built up some strength and I've also heard like that doesn't work for everybody. So I'm not saying like, hey, you know, that's the thing to go and do. But you, there is a bit of kind of, I think fi fi finding finding whatever therapy it is you're, you're trying, I think the right therapist is so important. You know, somebody that's going to have a bit of empathy towards you is really important. Um, Absolutely. We hear so many sad stories of people who got the wrong diagnosis and ended up on wrong medication and... Exactly. I mean, your story is a is a wonderful one because, and I, anecdotally, you hear it from people too that early intervention matters. I'm, I mean, over and over again, people who get the right um, support, and and that starts with belief, understanding, acknowledgement, encouragement to pace from the onset. If that happens right away, um, you know, anecdotally, we hear that outcomes it really affects outcomes yeah so i think well, your story matters so much hmm. like part of it would be that the standard response to the, a lot of the symptoms of me like a lot of people go i'll drink another coffee that'll give me the energy to go and you're just burning up an already used supply of energy you know you're yeah. you're pushing yourself further and further along the track like yeah you really are and you know that's a that's a societal issue too because where there's so much pressure to perform, to push, to, yeah. to make sure you go to work, to make sure that, I mean, there's, there's so much that we don't have this culture. And, and again, I think that's changing in a good way of mm. if you feel sick, stay home. And I mean, it's, it's a lot of the result of how we're responding to the pandemic, but I think that's right. I think people feel like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm tired, but it's on me to push forward and it's the most damaging thing you could do. And Absolutely. again, it's for anybody. And and up until recently as well, I, 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 you're probably, it's probably something you're aware of, but I think it was the the nice or the nice guidelines that got updated here recently. And up until then, like th that was like one of their go the go to recommendations was go and get a load of exercise. And like we know, like that's like not the right treatment at all. And in a lot of cases, it makes people much sicker. 
much yeah. sicker. I yeah. mean, and I will say it's people with ME that made sure those guidelines were reversed. Mm-hmm. The volunteers that I have seen in the UK, the activists, so many different organizations that joined forces. ME Action UK did a lot of work on the ground. And it took a long time, but it was with so many people saying this was a terrible, awful experience for me. I did worse. And I'm so grateful that the NICE guideline got re- got reversed and that graded exercise mm-hmm. therapy is no longer recommended. Yeah, it wasn't too nice at all. <laughs> it was not nice. I think the I think the UK volunteers uh went with like, yeah, uh nice one, nice after the uh, after they reversed it yeah and yeah and there was a bit of a delay as well right right at the last minute there was a whole drama it was like a soap opera i didn't know what was going on and we were <laughs> we were covering it and we were like we're like oh we better just hold our horses a little bit and just wait well, let's wait until all is said and done till we get into it too much but i'd love laurie suppose before we could get really more into the into the condition and all that kind of stuff It'd be great for the audience to know a bit more about the history of ME Action and how it got founded and things like that. So could you fill us in a bit on that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So we're still a pretty young organization. So in 2015, Beth Mazur and Jennifer Brea met online and they had been working on a variety of things. Uh, Jen was working on Unrest at the moment with her film Unrest. And uh, and Beth was really working in a lot of tech spaces, science spaces, and they were realizing that there was this gap in terms of patient mobilization, having enough people to be able to come together, to uh, to do work themselves, to join forces, to connect. And so that's where the network came in, in the Action Network. And so they started, and at the very beginning, it was just a website. And now we have grown to a full-time staff, a robust volunteer team, uh, we're working on the ground in the U.S. and in the U.K., and we connect with countries all over the world. Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, there's, yeah, so we mentioned it earlier, but there's the, the ME Awareness Day, which is the 14th, is that right? Thursday? The 12th, it's, it's, sorry. Thursday, the 12th of May is International ME Awareness Day, and I don't know... I, <laughs> I don't know if there's any protests happening around that day. There might be in, in, in Dublin, but um, I came across uh, ME Action uh, myself in, in Dublin. And it was great like to raise awareness. They did a protest outside the doll and the, 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 the main part of the demonstration was there, there weren't many patients there. I was there. I was one of the patients who could manage to be there in person. But So it was a lot of family members or friends that would show up on patients' behalf. So the visual kind of thing they did as part of the demonstration is to have just shoes because that's the idea that they're, they're, these are these are real people, even though we don't see them, they're real people mm. and and they can't be here, but their shoes are here. And I just that really struck me as a very appropriate um, way to convey the, the, the message. I love that that was your experience. That's it's wonderful, and I think that we've had so many people all around the world come to protests like that and have that have that experience. And it was a, it's a good way to raise awareness and demand equity from our governments. For May, most um, there are some global protests that are happening. I know um, I know France is doing a big protest. There's something in Norway, um, in the United States, and in the UK. We are doing. 
um, a virtual global protest in May, but then in September we're doing in-person protests. All right. So the hope is that by September it will be, we hope, easier and safer to travel. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. also that there's so much going on in May in a good way. There are so many organizations that are doing work around Emmy Awareness Day, May 12th. And so we wanted Millions Missing to be complementary to all of that work, not not get in the way of it. We want to make sure we get a lift like, on the other. Like an umbrella. Like an umbrella, exactly. And so yeah. on in September, we'll be really taking taking to the streets. And there'll, of course, always be an accessible virtual component. So we're moving away from the shoe imagery. Um, and we're this year, we're embracing uh, this, this concept that we are all connected. So um, basically through a through a common thread. And so this uh, this idea that there are so many different complex chronic conditions that are under-researched, under-resourced, that need certain things from the government. Most importantly, research funding, treatments, and medical education, but also all the other parts of society where it's workplace accommodations, access to uh, disability, access to uh, to a doctor in your area, whether you are rural, whether you're from the BIPOC community, the people that really do not have the right access to care. And so we're thinking that, especially joining forces with those that are newly diagnosed, whether they just got ME after having long COVID, or they just have a long COVID diagnosis, or they have another complex chronic condition, making sure that the ME community is opening up this millions missing to say, join us. Now it still centers people with Emmy at the forefront, but making sure that it it is a bigger, uh, it's a bigger space. And there are things that everybody needs with complex chronic conditions that we advocate for together. So that's, that's more of the focus this year. Well, that's brilliant, Laurie. And, um, it's funny because, uh, you know, when, when, when we were starting up can, it did kind of, we were, it was kind of coming from an Emmy place. And we kind of quickly realized, you know what, this is actually for everybody. It's not actually just for ME. So our kind of tagline here is like, help each other, help us all. And no, I love that. Yeah. So what you're saying really, really resonates with us. It's, 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 it, I, th- and I, th- I do think that's, it really is the right approach. And because we, you know, we, we are all human and there, there are things that we do all need. And, um, you know, you're absolutely right. Like those same problems that the ME community faces, there's lots of other chronic conditions or di- di- different people who are, who are marginalized for one reason or another who mm. needs who need access to services and support. And like we were saying, have so much to offer. And a lot of times people who have kind of had to kind of go through some stuff and kind of manage to come out of it a bit, you know, they, they really have some important stuff that needs to be listened to. Absolutely. Truly. And, you know, the balance here, the balance with uh, widening the, the, the umbrella um, is that you just want to make sure that the people that you're serving, that people with ME know that they're at the center and that they're not going to be forgotten. And so that's ME Action's promise. Mm. Well, that's great as well, because so, that is important because I think that is a big fear, fear that was amplified with the long COVID thing. Oh course yeah because i know on the one hand people are like oh maybe this is going to help but then there's the other fear of like it's going to overshadow everything and it's yeah. going to be another you know it'll push emmy into the corner and take over like 
Exactly. And it's a, it's a very legitimate fear. And so, I mean, I will say that we've had an amazing experience working with long COVID advocates that have really made sure to prioritize the history of Emmy and people with Emmy and making sure that they're, they're not left out of conversations, but there's a lot of work to do to make sure that the government response and all of our governments all, all over the world are actually including Emmy in that response. Uh, because otherwise ignores everything we know to be true. I mean, 80% of people within me are post-infectious. So it's, you know, people had long mono or long, uh, you know, uh, Epstein-Barr is another one out there. Yeah. Yeah. So like the, the, this has happened over and over and over again in history. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of work to do to make sure that the that the response really, really includes people with ME. And it matters. It helps people with long COVID and it helps people with ME. Uh, because, I mean, if you can go into something knowing so much more context, so much more history, you have so much more data. Yeah. Uh, imagine what you can yeah. do from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And that's the first show with Impact producer Laurie Jones with ME Action. And you'll find a link to the second part in the description. And we're, it was an absolute pleasure talking to Laurie. We've got into some really, really important stuff there. And I highly recommend that people go and check out meaction.net. MEAction have organized a global virtual event. And I highly recommend that people go and check that out. There's still time to sign up for that. I'm going to go. It's going, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what's going to be said there. For people who are watching, there's the video at the moment. Uh, it's on screen and it promises to be a very insightful event. So if you'd like to go to that, you can go to meaction.net forward slash event forward slash millions missing dash global dash virtual dash event. And that, again, that'll be on May 12th from between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. PDT. So that's state's time. I'm not sure exactly what time. They've got a whole host of speakers lined up. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Again, check out Emmy Action's May 12th global virtual event. Okay, Laurie Jones, listen, thank you so much. And uh, on a personal level as well, thanks so much for everything you're doing for the community. And it's an absolute inspiration. And I'm really encouraged to see that things are are continuing to go in a very, very positive direction. So thank you so much. Thank you both. And thanks for such a lovely show. And yeah, for great. You're welcome. We, we loved having you. you know? You're more than welcome. Okay, Laurie, listen, thanks so much. And yeah, give us a shout anytime, okay? Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. And the Can Projects email is info at And you'll find a link to the Can Projects website in the description. All the best.
project's Culture, Arts, Nature and Wellness is an outreach project advocating that active engagement in positive and creative outlets is beneficial to our health and our environment. If you'd like to contact CAN Projects, you can email us at canprojects.info at gmail.com and the link to our website is in the description. Here at Can, we like to focus on open and inclusive dialogue and sometimes a bit of literature as well. So Chris, we're gonna we're we're opening up a new chapter in the readings, the classic stories for Chris Needs. Yeah, we're gonna be starting on the time machine, which is a classic, classic HG Wells novel. It's a classic for a reason as well, because it's really, really good. I love it. It's been made into a film a few times, and uh, sometimes musicals, audio dramas. Chris Snead, Classic Readings.